Wealth Within offers a range of investment and educational services to help you secure your financial future. Whether you're an aspiring trader or simply want to increase the strength of your portfolio, Wealth Within are dedicated to maximising your investment returns. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gillam, the Chief Analyst at Wealth Within. Um, for those people who have been listening to podcasts over the last few weeks, you'll know that I've been quoting from the ASX 2008 shareholder survey, and I thought I'd continue on that flavour, but I'm actually going to use a different survey that is actually put together by Russell, or, or Russell Investments, and Russell uh, did this long-term investing report comparing 10- and 20-year performance of various investment classes, and this was uh, to the December 2007, so it's about two years old the data in here, but it's actually quite relevant in, in that it takes in the prior 10 years. But it's still relevant from today's point of view about different investment vehicles. And they looked at property shares, international shares, fixed interest, all the, the different uh, investment vehicles that you would be able to invest your return in. And they also looked at the after-tax return on all of these investments as well. And if we look at look at direct shares or Australian shares, we're looking at uh, in the, uh, just over 13% return was had by Australian shares in the 10-year period through to December 2007. If we look then at uh, Australian listed property, we're now looking down around about 11%. So it's actually a bit less than all that. Residential property is about 11% in that sort of bracket. So from their point of view, Australian shares actually outperformed residential property. And it's even after tax. And so if we look at the after tax rate, we're still talking about nearly 11% on the top marginal tax rate for Australian shares. Uh, and now we're getting to with residential property just under 9% for all of that. Fixed interest, obviously, as you could probably guess, comes in at a pretty lowly rate of somewhere between 4 and 5%. So it's not necessarily something that's, that's great. Uh, and that's a top rate is like 4% with the, the cash or fixed interest in that sort of area in there anyway. Here's the interesting one is overseas shares, they've rated at 3.6% over the last 10 years. Now, to me, that's an interesting figure because I know people who read my book, How to Beat the Managed Funds by 20%, know that I talk about diversification. And when I say to you know, the financial planning industry says, well, you know, you need to diversify, put some of your money overseas. And I'd say to people, well, why do you want to diversify your portfolio? by getting a lower return overseas than what you can actually get in Australia. And, and I do quote a report called Triumph of the Optimist, or a book called Triumph of the Optimist, which was put out by Princeton University Press some years, a few years ago. And it said uh, up to, I think it was 2000 or 2001, Australian, the Australian share market outperformed all other world share markets over 100 years. So when people say to you, what's the best performing share market, you can now say to them, well, hey, it's Australia. It's not the US. It's not um, anywhere else. It's the Australian share market. And it's mainly because our market's not as volatile as other markets, meaning it doesn't go, it doesn't have the big dips or uh, the dips aren't as big as what they are and as, as they are with some other share markets around the world. And I thought that was quite an interesting statistic that this Russell report come up with saying that, you know, overseas overseas shares is 3.6%. And so it's proving what I was talking about in my book that uh, you don't need to diversify into overseas markets. Now, I'm not against people buying overseas shares, but at the end of the day, there's quite enough shares on the Australian market to get us into trouble or make us lots of money. So why do you need to look into markets that you don't necessarily understand or you don't have your finger on the pulse? And that's probably one of the things that I bring up. And and that's a a, um, separate issue or a separate issue to the currency rates, for example, if you were in the US, uh, you had US shares some six to nine months ago, um, with your put your Australian dollars into that, 
And what's, what's happened is the Australian dollar's gone up against the US dollar probably 30% in the last three, four, five months. And therefore, your investment in US shares is devalued by that much in contrast. So therefore, the return you'll need to get out of those shares would be vastly much more than what the difference in the exchange rate. Of course, it can work in reverse because we all know, you know, at the point of time not too long ago where the Australian dollar dropped against the US dollar as well. So it works in reverse as well. But there is an exchange rate risk. Here's the other, another interesting fact from the report. I talked about balanced funds and growth funds. Now, I know in my book I talk about balanced and growth funds and I'm saying people are paying higher management fees for growth funds because they're more actively managed. And the implication there is that these would then deliver a better return than just a normal uh, balance fund, which anybody can pretty much do for themselves anyway, um, and pay lower fees. But their um, return was about 8.7% for your balance fund and about 8.65% for a growth one. So therefore, that was proving over the past 10 years or prior 10 years to December 2011 that it didn't matter whether you're in a balance fund or a growth fund, you still got roughly around the same return. And it's pretty consistent with what I put in my book is the average managed fund returns about 7.5% per annum on a 10-year basis. And obviously since you know December 2007, we've been in the subprime mortgage meltdown. So obviously those figures would now have dropped a little bit with managed funds falling somewhere between 40 and 70% through to March this year. So this is really these sorts of statistics sort of back up what I'm talking about and why people need to look at their investments and and didn't and obviously the tax comparisons um, make a difference as well but also what they also the report actually goes into what effect leveraging actually has on the return and I thought that one was also quite an interesting statistic because a lot of people in the property say to me well you know the effects of we can you can borrow 90% or 80% on on a investment property so when you take that into consideration investment properties are better but if you're looking at them as an investment vehicle and assuming all things are equal, that you borrow 50% for each investment, which is what the report talks about, shares again outperform property in, on whether it's, and obviously shares outperform property with gearing or without the gearing, as we just discussed a minute ago. But even residential property with gearing at 50%, it's still the same. I mean, obviously, shares will still outperform it simply because the gross return is there. And that is, that is even on the top marginal tax bracket because a lot of people often say to me, oh, well, I've got more tax deductions with property. Well, you do have um, lots of different tax deductions, but shares are just another, have still have their own tax deductions. Now, yes, you can borrow 80% on an investment property or 90% or, and in some cases, 100% of the money. Uh, and it to me, is, to me, negative gearing of investment properties is something uh, people shouldn't be looking at. I mean, to me, it's never been unless it's really, really strongly bullish market like we had sort of through the 80s where really negative gearing came up, um, it's not necessarily a wise choice over a longer period of time. You're better off something in a positively geared property where it's returning cash in your pocket after tax, uh, what we're talking about here. But they're going on to say that uh, a 50% gearing into shares would have a, an after-tax return on the top marginal tax rate of 16.2%, whereas an after-tax return on property would only be 13.4% and that's the difference. So you're still going to get more money out of the direct shares. To me, they're more liquid and everything else. And not to say don't invest in property because I do myself and I still think it's a very, very valid investment vehicle. You know, and I talk about margin lending in my book about only leveraging dollar for dollar, 50%. And this is consistent with that. All this report's doing figures consistent with that. Now, you can leverage up to 70% on a margin loan and as the, as the value of the asset goes up, you can keep leveraging more. 
Um, but to me, it's always about being conservative and probably one of the catchphrases that you know, I think investors should be using would be always leave something on the table for somebody else. And quite often the case, that's not the case. There's a lot of investors pushed to limit and a lot of people got caught, uh, which went from 2006 onwards in margin lending of having margin lending calls. And we've had record levels of margin lending calls in 2006, 7, 8 and 2009 again because people are getting too greedy but i'll just leave those sort of facts with you but this report is available on the asx website and it's free again there's a lot of good information on that asx website asx.com.au and just go into research and it looks about a whole lot of things in there and, and to me we need to get back to reality a lot of people actually hear somebody talk whether it's on the tv or um in the newspapers or whatever else but quite often some of the information we get is a bit clouded and you go well prove it what does that mean you know, what does that mean to me? Or how do I make money out of that? And to me, when you get companies like Russell, which is a very, very credible company doing a research on these sorts of things and the results that they get to you, when you look at their criteria, it's pretty open and um, quite simple about what is a good investment and what's not a good investment. And to me, shares and property will always be the best investment for you and that managed funds will probably be third or fourth down the list in my book. So to me, it's all about understanding how investment vehicles work, educate yourself on how they work, and then and to me, do it yourself. And that's what I'd like to, to leave it with you. So maybe that's something you can look at towards a new if you're not already doing it that way yourself. Um, I'd like to say thank you for listening to this podcast. You've been listening to Talking Wealth. I look forward to chatting with you next time. I'm Dale Gillam, the Chief Analyst at Wealth with him. Bye for now. Talking Wealth was brought to you by Wealth Within. To learn how you too can maximise your investment returns, call 1300 Share Trade.